Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Dun, 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 There is a man and they call him Anthropophagus. He is a cannibal. He'll eat out your esophagus. He lives in a lair in a giant stone sarcophagus. Hey, Anthropophagus. Huh. <laughs> Troy, I had to teach myself a song to remind me how many syllables <laughs> are in the word Anthropophagus. And that was the outcome of it. And I'm actually kind of proud of it. <laughs> I love it. It's another one for our ever-growing soundtrack that we will be releasing very soon. <laughs> oh, God. What the hits? What? All the hits. <laughs> All the hits from Dark Knight. Oh, my God. When Troy and I sing Alone, we're going we're gonna to cover Alone soon. <laughs> They're original hits, too. We write our own stuff here. Come on. We do. We do. I am pretty impressed by the sheer talent that we possess. Uh, in, in, in all aspects, really. I'm just constantly blown away by how capable we prove ourselves to be. But with lyricism, oh my goodness. <laughs> Were you constantly blown away by Anthropophagus? Uh, absolutely not. I love our fans. And I love Jason Purcell. I love you so much. God love you. You are just devoted. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, prepare you uh, for the fact that I don't want to say I liked this movie per se. I think there's aspects of it that I found enjoyable, but overall, Anthropophagus, a.k.a. the Grim Reaper, a.k.a. Uh, the Savage Island, I didn't even know that was a title for it until I found it on Tubi, <laughs> that, poster, that poster promises a lot, and I wouldn't dare say I feel like I received exactly what I was hoping for upon viewing that poster of fucking Anthropophagus eating those innards. You do get that eventually, but they make <laughs> they make you wait. Like, pack a lunch, people. Like, you have to wait quite a while before anything actually starts to happen in Anthropophagus. Troy, what are you thinking after watching this movie? You know, I had seen this years ago. It's a video nasty. It's one of the early video nasties, the UK video nasties. You know, the UK banned a bunch of uh, films back in the late seventies, early eighties, and they became t- known as the video nasties. We've actually covered one of them before unhinged. And so, you know, me as a little teenage horror fan, you know, in the very early stages of the internet, seeking out all of the obscure horror that I could find, like, what is the, what's the most taboo horror title I could find? I did run across this film and I did order it from eBay. I don't even know how old I was, probably 17 or 18 years old. And I watched it. And to be 100% honest with you, I it left zero impression on me, obviously, because now watching it all these years later, 25 years later or whatever, uh, none of the, <laughs> nothing was like, oh, okay, I remember that. I literally remembered nothing about this film. And I think that's the film's biggest flaw is that it is ultimately forgettable one shocking scene 
cannot sustain a film. No. Um, at least, okay, I say that, but like, you know, there's another film that has a, a very brutal infant death in it, which is a Serbian film that has some no, uh, notoriety, correct? At least the Ser- a Serbian film is a very, say what you want about it, it's a very well-crafted film. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully acted. Um, there are other things going on in the plot besides that one particular scene. Uh, I feel like this film is just kind of a buildup, a very slow buildup to one shocking scene and then kind of a kaput ending. Uh, and by the time it was over, Roger, I was like, okay, I mean, okay, I, I don't know what to say. It's I, I don't really, it's, I, it's forgettable. Like I'm never going to be like, oh, you know what? I got to watch Anthropophagus again. <laughs> I gotta say, anthropophagus. First of all, I can't even get the word out of my. Yeah, I was like, "What the fuck does this even mean?" I didn't even realize it had. Oh my god! It means cannibal. I did not know that. So at least the film taught me something. So thank you, Jason Purcell, for suggesting it because I learned that anthropophagus means cannibal, and I'm probably gonna mispronounce that fucking title the entire episode. So bear with me, folks, because this is the most you know, complicated title we've ever covered. It's certainly not, you know, a poltergeist or something that rolls off your tongue, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we covered it. <laughs> We're covering it. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. Do you want to get into it? Is there anything you want to shout out before? I know we, we constantly shout out our Patreon. We just posted our thoughts, uh, our initial thoughts on scream six. So if you like to hear us, you know, if you guys would like to hear us like interact outside of just discussing a specific title like we do every week on the podcast here, check out our Patreon because we do do two different segments where we just kind of shoot the shit. We have one talking body segment where we just talk about a different topic each week, this week or each month. Like I said, we just shared our thoughts on Scream 6. And we also do a fun little mini episode, which are top three like countdowns like what did we do we just did like top three um award-winning or should have been award-winning performances yeah 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 so check out our patreon patreon.com slash dark night at the podcast i'm still pining to get to 50 five-star ratings on apple Podcasts before 100 episodes so time is running out we did get one but we need five more guys i know a lot of you listen so five of you on that little Apple podcast app, just click those five stars. It would mean the world to us. We, we would be ecstatic. Oh yeah. Just diddle that button a little bit for us. It'd make us feel so good. Diddle diddle. And Troy, I got to say what I, about that fucking title, it's the last thing I'm going to say about this fucking title, the whole thing. But I compared the title of this movie is to Italian horror cinema. What Nicole Scherzinger's last name is to pop culture uh, and pop and pop music. Uh, both of them, I think, failed simply because you can't get the goddamn word out of your mouth. No one can really say Scherzinger. I don't know if I'm actually saying it right. And after years of being exposed to Nicole Scherzinger, I still don't know if I'm saying it right. So same thing with Anthro-fucking-pophagus. Um, I think I'm saying it correct. I could be completely wrong. I really don't care that much. Um, yeah, let, let's get into it. There's a lot of a lot of meat to, uh, to dig into the, with this one. Yet for some reason, it leaves me feeling strangely like hollow after watching this movie. And I think like one thing to really take away from it is, you know, I've, I've seen a bit about this film, but I am somebody who's never seen it before. I've only seen the visuals and from like the initial imagery, like that villain, that, that large headed man uh, with a skin disorder and the big eyes, 
upon first impression, he looks like he's going to be really effective. Like, I look at that poster, he's eating guts, they end up being his own guts, I didn't even know that. And I think this, I'm in for a ride with this one. Like, this looks like it's got some character. Sadly, though, I dare say this movie, like, is completely void of character. Like, it's at times very pretty, it's at times telling somewhat of an, an interesting story, but for the most part, like, the characters involved are completely bland, and, like, I could give no shits about them whatsoever because they're so boring. Um, even, like, the focal girl who's, like, a little more likable than the rest of them, she still kind of looks like everybody else, so it's just, like, it's really hard to figure out why you're following these characters to begin with. They're simply plot devices and nothing more. Um, and I don't know, it just... I was really hoping for a, like, larger-than-life, fucking absurd, over-the-top Italian bullshit that just left me, like, with my jaw on the floor. And I'm surprisingly just, like, walking away, like I said, hollow. Not at all impacted or affected by this movie. And I really was anticipating some shock factor. Well, I'm glad you said the word absurd, Roger, because this is the director, Joe D'Amato, who is a notorious Italian gore director. Actually, there is a loose... And I say loose, very loose, a loose sequel to this film called Absurd, uh, where we get the same killer just in a kind of a different environment. He's stalking like this house with this, um, I believe it's like this crippled girl and her babysitter is watching her and he starts killing people off. Absurd is actually quite an improvement over this one. So if this one maybe left you feeling hollow, uh, I would check out Absurd the sequel because it is a little it does a things a little bit better. It kind of tightens up the pacing of the film. The the villain becomes a lot more uh threatening because in this film, yeah, he just kind of lumbers around and comes out of nowhere and walks real slow. I don't know what's up with the face. I'm assuming it's supposed to be like because him and his family were in that little lifeboat and it's like his was it sunburn because she had the same thing when we see her, but we'll get there. We will get there. This film I don't know. It feels kind of disjointed at times and like the opening scene, which, yeah, the, the version I watched on prime opens up and the title card says savage, the savage Island. So it has several different titles like most Italian and gore films do, but it was immediately kind of thrown aback because the couple, the opening couple that we are introduced to, they, they are speaking German the entire time and it's not subtitled at all. So I have no, I have to, I can't, decipher anything they were fucking saying i'm assuming she was saying how cold the water was i don't know i couldn't find subtitles i don't know what the fuck they're saying and i was like oh shit am i watching a version that's going to be all in german but apparently this is like the common thing this film for some reason the couple that if it opens the film speaks in german and all of the prints i i don't know i gotta say something about this couple real quick Tori. right off the bat something that pissed me off aside from that horrible organ music because the music in this movie, it's like, I'm assuming of of the area in which this movie is set, which is lovely to look at. It's absolutely beautiful, but it's painful to listen to. So you're subjected to this like harsh instrumental consistently throughout the course of the film that's either really like, I guess, Grecian or wherever they are. I believe it's supposed to be Greece. I think they filmed it in an island in Italy, but whatever. That, that area from which this music has sprung, uh, it's beautiful to look at really rough to listen to. And then there's also this weird robotic soundtrack that comes in at certain times too that really clashes. It's it's really weird. But that aside, this couple, first thing you're introduced to them, they're walking through this absolutely beautiful island town. 
where everything is white. There's all these staircases. I want to go there. I mean, aside from what happens to people when they do, it looks lovely. But they're walking. The whole time they're walking, they're in a, a perpetual state of like partial embrace. Like they've got their arms around each other's waists and like <laughs> they never release each other for the entire journey through this town and like you would think like as people walk like normal human beings like occasionally maybe you're holding hands maybe like you're interacting with each other these people the director had to be like i never want you to break your stride i need you to walk in complete unison holding each other by the waist and it looks right away it looks real weird i know it's nitpicky but it drove me fucking crazy i watched this sequence like 10 times i'm like they never ever let go of each other it's it's so unbelievable to me they're descended staircases holding each other by the waist it's so awkward it looks very planted and not at all realistic oh well that's our that's our cue that these two are a couple apparently they can't keep their hands off each other however when they get to the beach the guy doesn't even go in the fucking water he uh, instead he takes out these giant headphones, puts on these giant headphones. We also have this lovely dog that is along for the ride that is actually fucking smart. The dog's the smartest fucking character in the entire movie. Oh my god! I was like, if that dog dies, so help me God! No, the minute the dog senses anything's wrong, that dog is out of there. But this opening scene, Roger, is it sets us up for like how awkward some of the death scenes are. Oh yeah, because yes, this this couple goes to this to the beach. He doesn't want to go in the water. I like it. I don't know what they're saying because it's in German. She gets in a little bikini and goes and swims out in the ocean. And I'm assuming she's like I said, I'm assuming she's telling him, oh, the water's cold. And he's just laughing at her. Like, and he lays on a rock and listens to his giant headphones. Well, there happens to be like this boat that's floating offshore. So she goes, swims out to this boat and, you know, grabs it and tries to peer in. And all of a sudden is pulled underwater by we're assuming now this who we find out is this giant killer of a man, but has he been underwater the whole time? Okay. Is he just, is he a merman? Is he, I mean, I don't, I don't know how he's capable. You don't get a lot of explanations here. Let's be clear. Listeners. The storyline is real thin with this one. Anthropophagus. I mean, threadbare, threadbare storytelling. This man who is the killer oftentimes attacks without warning from the from under the depths of the, of the sea and they give you like a backstory eventually that involves him being in a boat um but it certainly does not explain him being able to breathe underwater because the period of time in which he has to have been underwater there there is no way this man could have survived i mean he's just down there i guess waiting waiting for them maybe he has some kind of an air tank we don't see this does lead i guess one thing that I think the movie does in its favor up to a certain point, and then it's a, an overkill. This film really, like, is not interested in giving away the actual killer until, like, the very last minute. Like, they make you work for it. You're sitting through a lot of scenes in which it's through POV of the killer. You see moments in which people are, I don't know, dragged to the depths of the ocean. Uh, and then suddenly you just see a pool of blood as you have with this moment. Lots of moments that are, again, shown from the killer's perspective. But you do not see the killer like at all for a, a majority of the film. And I do feel that, you know, at first I think this is really in the film's favor. There's an element of mystery 
there's an element of like, I, I don't exactly know what's going on yet, but I know these people are walking into to danger, but it does get to a certain point where you're like, just fucking show me this guy already. And you know, the marketing is so built up around this guy. They obviously don't care about giving this away with actually, you know, the posters and everything that you see of this. If this is the original promo art, I mean, he's all fucking over it. Uh, so you're kind of coming like hoping to see this dude. And yeah, like first majority of the kills, you do not see him until finally he does have a, a grand reveal. Um, and leading up to that point, it's all kind of this mystery of like what's happening to these people. The kills are often vague or shown, um, you know, it kind of like a chaotic frenzy, which you don't know even exactly what's happening. Again, like this kill that's about to happen here with this young woman. It, it Sometimes it lands, but for the most part, it does not. I feel like a movie that really pushes um, the idea that this is going to be pushing some boundaries and is going to be something truly gory and grotesque, aside from like give or take maybe one or two moments in the film, because of the approach that they take, the kills are actually rather lackluster. I agree. Uh, the The kills for this movie being so notorious, the the kills are pretty. I will just say pretty lame. Even the even the infamous baby fetus eating scene is a lot tamer than I would expect it to be based on the reaction the film got when it was released in terms of the fact that it was banned and whatnot. It's really not all that impressive, not all that disturbing to to witness it based on how it is executed. So yeah, and this this first death scene is super clunky because yeah, she swims to this boat, she gets pulled under, and then all of a sudden we just see bright bl- bright blood, very red blood, appear in the water, and that's the end of her. And then yes, a POV of the killer walking out of the ocean onto the shore, up to this dude who's laying there oblivious because he's you know bopping to his music, and all of a sudden he opens his eyes and the killer embeds a meat cleaver into this dude's face and we do get a quick shot of it that looks pretty shoddy but i'm also thinking like this okay so you not only this is this man underwater for god knows how long he just he's carrying meat cleavers with him under the logistics and just the whole like setup right away leaves a lot to to be desired it's just like okay this is silly it is like particularly particularly that we when we find out it is just a man that's that's doing this like how was he underwater for so long and how did they not see him when they get to the beat i mean it's absurd i'll use that word again it's absurd but that's our opening i mean that's our opening i guess whatever you know it's something we've seen countless times in countless other slasher movies a couple going to a isolated area and being picked off Again, I don't know what particularly happened to the woman, but hey, the dog got away. I'm happy about that. That's all we really care about is that sensible dog who's like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Um, and like, I will, I even like rewatched this moment being like, is this like maybe artsy? Is this like intentionally like kind of uh, cut in a way that's supposed to be kind of um, disorienting, I guess. And I try to look at it in the film's favor, but it really does just read clunky. That's like the right word, I would say. Um, it just feels like they didn't quite hit their mark, uh, which is a rough note to start on for a film that is built upon, like we said, you know, being shocking and known for its brutality. Uh, opening with such a lame kill and a, and a subpar effect, like that whole moment where the, the meat cleaver comes down onto the dude's face is honestly like awkwardly cut. The sound effect isn't placed uh, appropriately, at least in the cut that I saw of the film, the sound effect is like 
awkwardly timed with the cut. So like, it just doesn't seem to make sense the way the cleaver comes down that he would still be screaming. I don't know. It, it's really clunky, the whole sequence. Um, but it is what it is. It's Italian cinema. There's a certain way they do it. It is still very beautiful. Um, like I said, all of those moments on that island up before, it feels like everyone's about to bust into Mamma Mia, uh, you know, Meryl Streep leading them down the staircases and everything. It's just, It's beautiful to look at, but it's just edited strangely and that's something i feel does carry throughout the film and is kind of one of um the 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 low points of the movie is just that oftentimes i feel like the editing is uh strangely paced or um either lingers too long on a moment or cuts away too quick i don't know i i feel like the editing here feels very uh of the time and i certainly feel that that horrible audio dub that we're subjected to does not help it either because the the voices are always paced out awkwardly over the lips where they sound very very scripted very inauthentic um i don't think there's a single performance here in this movie that is in any way assisted by the bad english dub that i saw uh, so that could be something that also plays factor to what makes the edits overall feel clunky because the audio is just kind of all over the place the dialogue is really just rough to listen to at times well and that's the problem with i think a lot of italian cinema is the dubbing and i definitely have that note here when we get when we leave the opening scene and get introduced to our core set of of i guess characters that are gonna carry us through the film who happen to be taking this hanging trolley to i guess the town center uh, we have this pregnant woman, Maggie, who was right away complaining that she doesn't feel well throughout the whole movie. This bitch is puking, spraying on her ankle. This is the most injury ridden woman I've ever met in my life. She's complaining in every freaking scene she's in. And then we have Julie, who is, I guess, our lead, our our, our lead, I, for lack of a better term. I mean, she's kind of the, the last character standing along with another guy played by actually Mia Farrow's sister. And uh, Julie overhears that the group are talking about they're going, they're basically on vacation and they're island hopping through the uh, the Greek Isles. And while they're discussing this, one of the characters, Arnold, Arnie, bumps into her and knocks her camera down. He offers to buy her a new one. And he is the husband of the pregnant Maggie. And yeah, they, they agree to take her. And even there's this moment where like this creepy guy named Daniel is like, oh, I agree. A very weird dynamic between his character and this Julie character. Like he apparently immediately like falls in love with her and wants to spend the rest of his life with her. It's so weird. But to your point with the dubbing and the dialogue, it is really hard to make any sort of connection with any of these characters or really give a shit about any of them because the dialogue is so fucking inauthentic it does not match what is happening in the films even in the moment of like heightened suspense and terror the dialogue never matches what's happening on screen and that is solely because of the 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 film was dubbed and so there's a big i think a huge disconnect between an actor reading a script in a studio so that the the dialogue that can be placed over what the actors were saying in english from actually the actors performing the dialogue in the moment, right? Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. There's a huge disconnect. Um, uh, some of the worst dubbing I've ever seen or heard 
it really makes yeah every character speaks exactly the same and you can totally tell this dialogue was just read in a studio they got a bunch of you know voice actors together and it said here let's adr this read this script no emotion no concept of like the suspense that's supposed to be going on in a scene no concept of how you would naturally respond to somebody who says something to you that might be might require an emotional response the dialogue is completely flat and stilted the entire film and it really, really hurts, I feel, the audience's connection to any of these characters because they just don't seem real. Yeah, it's a bummer because, again, it, it, the movie is at times actually quite lovely to, to look at. Like, you've got this moment here where they're, they're floating above the world in a gondola, you know, just uh, over top this beautiful uh, kind of mountainscape. And it's very like elegant and it looks just really beautiful at first. But the moment they, they start talking, you're honestly like removed from the moment because it's so separate from, from the actual uh, moment that's going on. You can tell that that audio is so, again, disconnected from the sequence. It sounds very, very wooden, very scripted. There's no hint of life in these people. At all. Um, I, I would be curious to revisit this film in its original language, just to kind of see the authenticity of the performances with their, you know, their natural inflections. I think that would probably do a great favor for my experience of watching this because, yeah, that, that dub really is, it's it's painful to get through. Um, and then again, that's fucking score. Like you got more of these weird big instrumentals. And a lot of times I like a big instrumental, but I feel like the music in this film is just very unpleasant to listen to at times and again it kind of pulls me out of the moment yeah it's loud there are some there are some more subtle score moments later on in the film that i do actually like but yeah initially the score is just loud it's in your face again it's it doesn't it doesn't mesh well with what's happening on screen and again that's just a huge problem with this film but yeah after this beautiful gondola scene they agree to let julie go with them so they all go down to meet alan who arrives in his little bus to pick up the group and he greets the group. Um, when they're in the bus, Julie's telling them about this Island that she needs to get to and how it's isolated. Only a few families are there and they're self self-sufficient, but apparently she has friends that live on this Island. So she wants to get there. Uh, the group takes a vote and they agree to take her. And we have to mention there is this dour, sour puss of a character named carol oh fuck her i know she, okay so her and the julie look exactly alike. carol's hair is a little bigger yes so uh, frizzier <laughs> that's a problem yeah they look exactly alike and so it's really like the moments i'm like oh no wait wait that's the other one but this carol is just like the sour puss of of the group it, it's made very clear like when they cut to being on the boat that is taking into this island, Maggie. Okay. Again, every time we see Maggie, she's bitching, she's puking, she's hurting her ankle. She's puking overboard. She's, she's seasick. Okay. So they're dealing with her. But she is the woman is with child. Like, I mean, they do make, well, they I do know, make pregnant but women come on. extremely fragile in this film though. <laughs> In this, yeah, she's like walking oh down a stair God. and she she's fractures her ankle and she has to sit on the- glass bones, this woman. <laughs> uh, but right away, you know, on on the boat, Daniel, who is this other character who looks exactly like the other two guys. And again, all of these people look exactly We've like We've got them. shag cut number one and shag cut number two for the men. Yes. Yeah, so Daniel, I guess we'll call him shag cut number <laughs> one because he- 
tries to bring Julia Coke, and she could not be more uninterested. <laughs> so over it the moment he walks over she's like get the fuck away from me like this guy does not understand the idea of no but why is he so smitten with her like she's honestly she's kind of dumpy at least carol is wearing a nice dress and you know looks halfway halfway put together i mean this woman you can definitely tell has been has been traveling and hasn't showered for a while yeah well i mean even the way that Julie's introduced to this group. It's like, it is thin on the exposition. Like they're in a gondola. He breaks her camera. She's blunt. She's like, let me come with you. And they're like, oh, okay, that's fine. And she's part of the group. And, you know, there's no uh, development of like a potential romantic interest when it comes to Danny. Like he is in it to win it. The moment he lays his eyes on her, he like, even like there's this awkward moment where it transitions to the next scene and he's like, hell yeah. Like basically being like, fuck yeah, I'm bringing this broad with us. I'm going to bang her. Like he is into her. Um, and she just couldn't be any less interested, which I do kind of like that aspect of the storyline for her. Carol also has like this romantic interest in Danny and it creates this animosity between Carol and Julie, which might be more interesting to me if it wasn't for the fact these people had like not just met. Like, doesn't it feel weird that Julie just joined this group and already she has these like strange, like this romantic love triangle that comes out of nowhere. Like it, it happens so quickly and it just doesn't feel like it makes sense for people who just encountered each other for the first time. Cause that's the case, correct? Like she does not know these people prior to this interaction. Correct. Yeah. She has no idea who these people are. And you are right. She very forcefully is like, I'm coming with you. Take me to this island. But but she's not interested in, in Daniel. However, she does go up and give Alan the Coke that Daniel gave her. And she's obviously somewhat interested in Alan. I, I don't know. Even though, again, they have no connection. He literally just drove her to this boat. Like they haven't spent any time together. But he is like, oh, well, you got to watch out for Daniel. He's my best friend, and I, I know I know how he is. Oh, and by the way, and she makes some comment about, oh, I bet you're into Carol, too. And he's like, well, no, actually, she's my sister. Oh, yes. And then he lets her steer the boat a bit, and I'm like... I love that she's his sister, and he's like, she's batshit fucking crazy. Like, right off the bat, he's trashing her. <laughs> he says it numerous times throughout the film. But then... They've introduced this next scene where Carol is with Maggie and Julie, and she apparently now is a tarot card reader because, of course, she is. And Maggie wants her to do a reading, so she spreads out the tarot cards, and as she has Maggie flip over the card, she's like, oh, I I can't read these. I'm just not getting a good feeling. So Julie steps in and begins just like bullshitting. She's like, oh, well, see, these two guys mean that you're going to have a a boy. Oh, and look at the sun means you're going to have a break. She's just bullshitting. And Maggie's like, well, I'm going to go help with dinner, but you're going to give me a real reading later. And when Maggie's gone, Carol's like, well, thanks, Julie, for stepping in and helping me. But like, I literally couldn't read the cards. And generally when I can't get a reading from them, it means that the person has no future. Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) It's very dramatic. Very dramatic. I mean, last review, we talked about things being heavy handed with Poltergeist 2, and I, I would say, dare say we're keeping on a trend uh, with this movie, uh, because, I mean, I'm sorry, Carol, I just don't believe that you know how to fucking read tarot cards in general. You're a frail white woman who probably, like, recently learned about tarot cards and is just 
like starting to get into it because she thinks it's cool and cutting edge. Uh, and that's that because she's immediately jumping to conclusions that, that, you know, when it comes to Maggie, that there's going to be a negative outcome uh, regarding, you know, this trip and what's to come. And of course it does. It's true. That does make sense. I mean, like it is exactly actually legitimate, but I don't buy that Carol is somebody who is really able to, I don't know, predict futures, have psychic moments where she's able to uh, basically become possessed by other uh, characters in the film. Like, doesn't she become possessed later? She's like, I was outside of my body. I didn't know what I was doing. And this frail, like this frail blonde dame is just um, not really selling me on this kind of character that she's supposed to be bringing to the table. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because they all look the same too, but she just, I find her to be very like blasé. They're all blasé, but I just don't know. I don't think Carol really, her story arc seems very forced in there and her whole like psychic connection, aside from predicting this little aspect with Maggie, it just doesn't really feel like it's utilized or has any direct connection with the storyline. It, it doesn't. You're right. It's shoehorned in there to give us some, you know, premonition of what's to be that these are that these uh, this group is in danger. And it, it allows then for the rest of the movie to, to for her to be kind of a, a nagging bitch to the group because she definitely throws out accusations here in a bit about, oh, it's your fault. It's your fault. I knew we shouldn't have come to this island. Oh, it's nothing but going to be danger for us. So after the reading, after dinner, the next morning, they are apparently only a few hours away from this island. And then this is when Julie reveals that she really isn't meeting friends. Instead, it's this old English couple with a uh, a blind daughter that she comes and visits it a few times a year because they pay for her vacation. And then Andy asks her if her and Carol had words that last night because he told her that they shouldn't have let her come with. And they shouldn't go to the island because it's just going to be bad for them. And, and then he says, well, you know what? She's like, no, we didn't have words. We, it was kind of a pleasant conversation. She's like, oh, that's okay. She's a nutcase. <laughs> yeah, he's very uh, blunt about his sister. And I get it. She's a total fucking bitch. She's very unlikable. I mean, I would like to think that if she had these crazy psychic powers, that she would be trying to at least make herself a little more endearing to the rest of the group to get them to buy into it and want to listen to her. They don't want to listen to her because she's just a fucking bitch. I, I wouldn't listen to her either. Well, apparently she's so worked up by what the, by not being able to read the cards that she starts throwing them off the boat into the water. Dramatic. Again, and more drama because actually Andy says, oh, she's a nutcase. She's never been able to, pr I've never been able to pry those tarot cards from her hand. And then a hard cut to her just throwing them in the water. So she was that affected by the cards she turned over for Maggie that she, now she's throwing her prized tarot cards into the ocean. You get all these dramatic shots on her eyes and her, on her just big, big cow eyes, just looking out into the distance, just <laughs> milky and moist and heavy on the pupil. She's always in a daze, this one. She's looking out to the, the the ocean, just, you know, having visions or whatever you do when you play with the tarot cards. But yeah, she just throws them into the ocean uh, and she's just a bitch for the rest of the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, she is. They dock at the island, finally. And as they're getting off the island, of course, Maggie twists her God ankle. Damn it, Maggie. She's like, I can't go on. You guys have to go without me. So they leave her on the they leave her on the boat with. Apparently, this ship had a 
a cap or a, like some guy that was on it. Did you catch that? Where was he when they got on the ship? Because he stays back and takes care of Maggie as the group goes. To, but he wasn't on the ship when they were going over there, at least with that we didn't see. I mean, was there just another friend that we didn't didn't pick up on? I mean, that tro- Troy, these people, they all blur together. I mean, honestly, I don't know who the fuck they are. I think they all look kind of pretentious driving around in that big goddamn orange Scooby-Doo mystery machine they've got. They just look like uh, difficult people to have to deal with. I love the I love their remedy for her sprain in her ankle. Put it in a bucket. <laughs> Put it in a bucket of seawater. Oh my god. Oh, soak soak your ankle in a bucket of seawater, Maggie. We'll be back. Yeah, just leave her. Be like, okay, sorry you're pregnant. We're gonna have to go on without you. She's left on the boat the rest of the time, just moping, being pregnant, sitting with her foot in that goddamn bucket. Poor thing. Like Maggie does not have it easy. And when you do start to get some POVs of the killer like watching the boat, because that's starting to come into play now. I mean, he sees her and he's like, this is too easy. This broad, just sitting here, foot in bucket, giant, bulbous, uh, pregnant gut, uh, (laughs) pushed up to the sky as she just sulks there. She's so disappointed. Um, But the others do get to go on this tour through this beautiful city uh, or town, you know, little town. And again, it's stunning. Like this location, if I can give this movie any credit, it's that the setting is rather breathtaking at times. It's really gorgeous to look at. It is also rather eerie now that now that you're walking through the town with these characters, uh, whereas before it was active and you, they did purposely make it a point to show that there were townspeople doing, you know, shaking out their laundry, walking through the alleys. Now it's completely desolate and empty. There's not a sign of anybody. I do like that shift. I think that's kind of cool. I actually, my biggest note, if I, if I have to praise this film for anything, I do think it's very effective at creating at times a very creepy, unsettling atmosphere with this setting, with this, this Island setting. That's just so isolated and so quiet and so sterile looking. And there's just nobody around in these, as they're talking, their voices are echoing through the town because there's just nobody there. I do feel like that does create then a, a like i said a very creepy effective atmosphere that i did appreciate yeah because the location is stunning and they do make i would say they do make pretty good use of it you know we we get to travel around to several different locales in this town and, and each one of them are equally eerie isolated and actually stunning so i will give the film a lot of credit for that and they even are wondering why the group is pondering like why is this why is nobody here and julie's like I don't know. This is very weird. I I don't know where everyone would be. So Julie tells Andy that him and her should go explore the general store. And then she tells Arnie and Carol to keep looking around for people. They go into this general store. And the first thing that she notices is that the telegraph machine has been destroyed. Now, this Roger would concern me, right? Because I've been to this island before, if I'm her. I know that this island is usually, you know, has people on it and it's not completely isolated. She sees this and he's and she's like, oh, it looks like it's been destroyed. And then she just kind of <laughs> goes on about her business. She's like looking at newspapers and like browsing the shelves. She doesn't even act like it's a big fucking deal. Like, lady, you you're the 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 one course of communication that this island has you see it's destroyed and you're like oh that's weird okay well look at there's a can of peaches over here 
she could give us two shits less that this thing is destroyed. Yeah, the, the reactions and the modems from a lot of these people um, oftentimes feels a bit understated. Again, I can't really come at the actors. I'm sure this is a huge reason for this is that goddamn fucking dubbing. Uh, really, every scene, I'm going to have a negative note on the dubbing and how it ruins a few of these moments here. But yeah, reactions here seem very, very understated at times. Um, and certainly not to the extreme that I would expect considering the scenario. Yeah, it would just it just struck me as very odd, you know, that their reactions to this thing being destroyed and seeing that nobody's on this island. And even Andy looks at the the telegraph log and notices that the last telegraph hadn't even been sent or received for a month. So that would be a cue for me to be like, okay, we're leaving. Where's the next island? Let's go. But no, they stay around. And in and in fact, Carol and Arnie actually see a random woman up in one of the windows of one of these houses in the village. So they go into this house unannounced and just go up to try to find her. And we see that she has written go away on the window. This them. woman is rather mysterious. I'll say like, I think her presence is, is actually um, a nice addition to the film. It almost gives me in a way, like almost kind of like um, a silent hill kind of pacing for a little bit as they're running through this empty town makes me think of the moments in the silent hill film the original one where rose is is chasing after a, a young Alyssa um through the like this this empty city gives me kind of that vibe and i dig that i like that the whole pursuit moment between the two of them it really utilizes the space very well um but one thing like one question i have to pose is am i supposed to and i'm going to ask this now because of course we're in this empty we're in this big empty city, this town, um, just wandering around, completely empty. Am I supposed to assume that this anthropophagus man just ate all of all of the people in the town? Like, has everyone been consumed? Is that what I'm supposed to gather here? I, I, I'm a. I think that that it. is the insinuation, particularly when we get to the end of the film. I'm assuming that's what we're supposed to. That he killed and ate the entire village. God damn it! Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. He's had a month to do it, apparently. So, I mean, I don't know. But yeah, so they, they see this woman and, you know, sh she wrote, go away on the window. And when they look at the window, they see her down there staring at them. So they immediately go turn around and try to exit the house to go down to catch her. But this body, random body falls out of the hallway in front of Carol. Well, I kind of like this moment. You like this moment? The, the shot of him running by the body, like there's a shot of Danny where he goes chasing after this woman and he just runs by the body and she's like sitting there. Like it's actually kind of startling. Um, and then the body drops in front of, of Carol and she has this big reaction moment. Um, and I think it's actually one of the few moments where I actually was kind of creeped out a bit. Like I'm not necessarily scared, but just the visual of this like mummified body sitting there, I thought was kind of a... Uh, interesting what you didn't like this moment no 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 i just felt like the, the 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 gore effect for what supposedly happened to this person i don't know it kind of looks like a mummy it does yeah and then i'm like well okay that doesn't make sense because he, they're like oh it's been devoured no it hasn't it's just it's a full body sitting there just looks mummified i i do like i do like the moment but like any of the body reveals in this film the bodies just look they don't look appropriate for what supposedly has happened to them they they the film i feel like uses a lot of paper mache as as special effects i'm so happy you said that i have the exact same fucking no 
paper mache corpses everywhere. Yeah, so I they're not really effective, particularly when we're oh, because like, is it Arnie or is it Daniel? I, I I'm probably mixing up these names, guys. I apologize again because these characters just kind of blend together, and I it was really hard watching this film to keep and keep track of which one. Either Daniel or Arnie runs by the body, and he looks at it, he's like, "It's been devoured." I'm like, "Okay, if you say so." And and no better example of paper mache effects than this next scene because we cut we cut back to the boat and maggie asks this random dude who's on the boat to refill her bucket because the water has gotten warm so he gets her bucket and he goes to the side of the boat and then all of a sudden his body falls into the water I think I'm supposed to assume here that like he's pulling on the rope and then that I think the the anthropophagus grabs the rope and yanks it and just pulls him in i don't fucking buy it it's all done through like one shot from like you know under the water so it looks very like again disorienting um but yeah i don't fucking buy it this guy by the way i did break down his name it's it's Stra- it's Strafus, i think or Strafus, something like that something something exotic um <laughs> so this yeah very exotic so this man is is yanked into the water and this moment's absurd the next moment in which, in a very, like, very wooden, awkward manner, Maggie, like, hears the noise and, like, walks around the edge of the boat. And you can tell that the director said to her, I want you to constantly ensure that your attention is going anywhere but the direction of that bucket. I want you to always be looking away from the bucket. I never want you to lay your eyes on what's inside of the bucket. Because obviously the whole surprise here is what's in the bucket. What's uncomfortable is like this pregnant woman is lugging this gigantic bucket of water, pulling it up. Don't tell me for a minute that she's not going to have some inkling that there is a man's head in the bucket. Because that ends up being the case. Somehow Strathus's head is in the bucket. And somehow Maggie proceeds to hoist this bucket all the way up to the edge of the the boat. She lifts it over the edge. She places it on the ground and she goes to dip her foot in it to, you know, I guess, soothe her pain. The whole time, not once does she ever acknowledge or recognize there is a head blatantly bobbling in this bucket. And it just is so unbelievable to me that this woman would not notice this. Like, it just seems so absurd to me. Yeah, she doesn't notice it until she puts her foot in it and tries to put her push her foot all the way down and it touches something and she looks down and it, it is this head that is clearly I've seen better heads made by sixth graders in an art class with paper mache than this. This literally looks like a balloon with some paper mache and some eyes on it. It is it is a terrible terrible effect. <laughs> but uh, she screams and at the same time, the group is has all converged on the dead body in the hallway, including Julie. And they decide, as Arnie's like, hey, oh my God, we got to get back to Maggie. So they run back down to the boat and we get a long, basically panning shot of the entire boat being empty. And I'm thinking, okay, so this is going to, are they on the boat? But no, it's just a, it's just like a three minute shot of the boat being empty um, because when the group actually runs to the shore, the boat has floated 
like several feet off- offshore. It's like way out in the middle of the ocean now. And of course, Arnold's like, we got to go get her. We got to go get her. And they're like, no, 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 you can't. Um, Strophus or Stroganoff or whatever you said his name was. Arnold's like, well, maybe he, the storm's coming. So he took the boat out there and they'll be back in the morning. So we got to, we got to find a place to to crash for the night. So Julie says, let's go to my friend's place. They'll probably put us up for the night. Even though 10 minutes earlier in the film, she said they're not really her friends. They're these people that just hire her to come and take care of their daughter. But she assumes they're going to put them all up for the night. So they go. And then as they're walking away, like literally right next to them, this giant of a man, because we do see him here in a few minutes, is dragging Maggie's body away but they don't see him. Yeah, how do they miss this hulking figure dragging this very pregnant woman's body along the top of like this like brick wall that kind of like overlooks uh, the area in which they're walking? Like he's like a level above them, and it's a very like it's it's not like he's like hiding behind rocks or anything. Like he is like out in the open. If they step back a couple of feet and looked up, he would be glaringly obvious to them so again like just nonsensical maggie uh, surprisingly the pregnant one is the first one to get nabbed uh she is not deceased yet let us be clear but she is mia for a portion of the film we're about to transition to to nightfall here shortly and we we do arrive at the home of what is julie's you know friends or quote-unquote friends um and i will say like, again, with these empty locations and just being in this very, like, Grecian environment or, you know, it just feels like of an island environment. It's so, like, not what we're used to seeing here that it is pretty entrancing whenever in there in these locales. Um, I really enjoy the scenes set within these uh, these little cityscapes and little townhomes that you find uh, scattered throughout the city. I do think the atmosphere builds for a bit here as well because you've got the storm setting in and that adds like a really great element of like just i mean overall danger because this storm is fucking horrifying i mean it's it is a big fucking storm there's lightning there's thunder flashes of light it's very very exaggerated but it works in the film's favor often so i do think that this is a portion of the film that starts to develop a nice tone for a while i like where it goes it just doesn't really maintain it this house that they go to is actually really gothic. I mean, there's lots of like nooks and crannies and like almost like hidden passageways because when, when they get to this house, Julie and Andy are like walking through this creepy hallway and it's dark thunders flashing. And we get this like jump scare where Daniel pops out all of a sudden and tells them to come down to dinner. But this house is, is beautifully Gothic. This is a, a stunning, stunning location, particularly for this house to build the dread because it's, they, they find out nobody's there at dinner, even though it's storming, it's like in the middle of the, it's a storming out, it's lightning. Julie suggests they go look for Maggie and Carol immediately is like, it's useless. And Julie's like, well, how can you say such a thing? And she's like, because I have a feeling we shouldn't have come to this island. There's an evil on this island and it's going to destroy us. And and Andy's like, shut up, you, you shut up. Oh, shut up, you nutcase. We're going to go look for Maggie in the morning. And they all decide that they're going to sleep in the living room that night, that they want to stay together, which is, I guess, makes sense. You know, it's kind of another, one of the first smart things that the group does as a group is they decide, no, what, you know what? We probably should just stick together because of all of the strange things that have happened since we got here. Lest, finding a fucking dead body in a hallway of a house that you were just in that again, they seem to like 
totally nonchalant to that now. We get this moment then when Julie wakes up that night because she hears noises apparently. And I like this too, because again, this reminds me of a very like early, like gothic, almost like a Frankenstein or Dracula kind of scene where she gets a, a candle and is walking through the windy hallways of this house. It's one of my favorite moments in the film, to be honest. I, I'm I'm happy that you mentioned gothic here uh, a few times because I didn't anticipate it to go that route. And when it does, it works greatly in the film's favor. I do also want to acknowledge that I love the fact that they chose to make it through dinner before they decided that they wanted to go look for Maggie. Uh, Like they're having like a light, like joyful conversation over a hearty meal. And they're like, Hey, we should go look for Maggie in the middle of this massive storm. Um, So you really see where their priorities are at, but yeah, I mean the location, the environment in general, the area around the the location they're staying in, because you get so many glimpses of this little town, um, it does make it feel uh, haunting constantly. Nightfall does this movie a ton of favors, a lot of shadow play. I love the illumination of the um, the candle that as she's making her way through the house. It is just truly effective. I really wish that the film could have maintained more of this because. Again, I, I was not anticipating this to go a gothic route, and when it goes there, it's often the, the best moments in the film. Yeah, I agree. This whole segment is pretty effective, and we do get a really good startle here in a, in a minute. And the, it's kind of set up with a very creepy shot of a meat cleaver appearing behind Julia. She's walking through this hallway, and it gets closer and closer to her, but it, once it gets to her and the person touches her, it's just Daniel. And he says to her, you, you heard it too. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they continue into the basement where they see this piano. And then all of a sudden this random kitten just falls on this piano. And they're all like, oh, it's such a pretty kitten and laughing at their stupidity that they were, you know, startled by a kitten. And uh, Daniel's kind of backed up against this. I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden, and this is really, this guy, man, made me jump a bit. This fucking bloody woman jumps up with a knife screaming her fucking head off and stabs him in the back. This moment's probably the most effective sequence in the film. And I got to give it kudos because the the buildup is great. I don't know where Danny gets off thinking that he can prank somebody with a goddamn meat cleaver. If I were her, I would have turned around and fucking pushed him down the flight of stairs or I would, I mean, like I would have used my candle to light him on fire. I wouldn't even look to see who it was. If I saw a meat cleaver coming up behind me, you can go fuck yourself with that. Danny. He's not the most likable character. He comes on way too hot and heavy. You're kind of waiting for him to die, but they do have this fun little moment. The moment with the kitten well played, like that whole piano, like they're hearing the noise of the piano in the distance and you almost think it's the score and they kind of utilize it as the score as it builds. Uh, But then you end up seeing it's this little kitten it's this, this kind of funny little laugh it off moment. And all of a sudden, this banshee woman covered in blood comes swooping out of nowhere with a goddamn like, um like she's holding like either it's like a dagger or a shard of glass or something like that. She's completely covered in blood. Do they ever really explain the blood, like where the blood on her is coming from? Is it her own blood? I don't think so, because she seems she doesn't seem injured. Uh, maybe it's like blood from her p- parents. 
because you know her parents are are not there anymore. Her parents are gone, and we're assuming her parents were killed. So maybe they were killed in, in front of her. Or I I don't know. Yeah, don't. yeah. It's, it's it's you know it's not really explained, but because it's just such an effective moment, I'll fucking take it. Uh, we are introduced to this character that is Rita, whom I mean she's right in line with every fucking Italian horror movie ever made. The beyond people with glass eyes, you know, or glass contacts, milky eyes, blind. There's always a blind person in these movies, but I like them. I think it adds an, an aspect of like, I don't want to say higher stakes, but like when you know you have a character who is obviously incapable of seeing what's going on, uh, you're that much more vulnerable when you have them around. You want to make sure they're safe and it's that much more difficult because you have to fend for them as well. Um, but also, I do love this one little detail they introduce about this character. This comes up here in a little bit where because she's blind, her other senses are heightened and her sense of smell, she's able to smell the killer, the creature, the monster, the anthropophagus. She's able to smell when he's approaching. And I actually think that's a great little, a little um, uh, character note to give the character of Rita. Um, It does give her more purpose and it makes for a few moments that do start to build more of that dread because you know he's coming and she senses it and there's moments you see her sinking into the shadows or she starts hyperventilating and it does give you one more thing to make you kind of kind of get on the edge of your seat a few moments here i'm not saying this movie's ever fucking amazing but there's a few moments where they utilize this character well and i appreciate her being added to the group luckily daniel's not injured that bad it's basically a little cut but but um andy's like we need to go get antibiotics and this is when they ask Rita what's going on. And she says she doesn't know because her parents won't answer her anymore, but she knows someone evil is there and she can smell him when he's around because she can smell him because he smells of blood is what she says. Uh, We cut to Andy and Arnold going out to look for antibiotics. They're heading back to that general store. There's a moment where Carol is bandaging Daniel up and gives him a kiss. So there is sort of like a, a, a level of romantic interest between Carol and Daniel, but he immediately like kind of backs when he's like, where's Juliet? And she gets this glare, death glare on her face. She doesn't want to hear about Julie. So there's this moment now where Daniel, after, you know, Carol takes the time to bandage him up. She goes into the room to see Julie and he gives her a cigarette and they have this conversation you know, he's asking her, oh, are you scared? And she's like, yes. And then he begins to like caress her face and reveal to her that Carol's in love with him, but she'll never be enough for him. He needs something more. And Julie's like, well, what do you, what more could you want? And he's like, I just know that you are the woman that I need. Have they literally had more than a conversation in this entire film? The, the fact that this man is is thinking these things about this woman is in my mind. It's like, it gives me like to catch a predator vibes almost. Like that's the kind of individual I'm looking at with Danny. Because he comes on so aggressive, so fast. There's something that almost reads unstable about the guy. Like it makes absolutely no sense that he is so fucking aggressive with this woman. And it's just clear that she's like, please leave me alone. Please, like, I'm not interested. She straight up tells him, and he's like, well, I'm going to keep it anyways. I'm going to keep on going. Uh, I'm going to keep on coming at you until you give in to my love. Like, that's the kind of, like, extreme obsession he has towards this, I mean, reasonably attractive woman. She's, she's, 
she's pretty, but like, I mean, come on now. They have her looking kind of frumpy in this. I mean, let's be honest. She's looking kind of frumpy. She's meant to be, I think, a little bit more capable than the other gals, which I guess comes into play a little more later because she does step up a bit. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, he's just so head over heels for this girl. It almost comes off a little bit stalkerish. Luckily, he's dispatched soon here. Like, let's be real. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I did not get this. Like, why? Like, the whole this whole moment. I'm like, why are you so fixated on this woman? Like, I don't get it. And he's like confessing her his love to her, and he like leans in for a kiss right as Carol comes in. And of course, she starts screaming at Julie that this is all your fault. This is all your fault. We shouldn't have come here. We're gonna be you put us in danger. And then she takes off running. Of course, Julie, being you know the more down to earth, like sensible person decides to go run after her. And there is this like long Roger long scene of Julie running through the woods and chasing Carol. I'm like, is this ever going to fucking end? Finally it does because they get to a cemetery and Julie goes into the cemetery and is like looking around when all of a sudden Carol appears behind her and like shuts the gate and locks her in this fucking cemetery. Oh my God, Carol, what a fucking cunt this woman is. And like, she tries to explain it off later, making it sound like she had no idea what she was doing, but bitch knew what she was doing. She's a fucking bitch. Uh, she's being nothing but unpleasant towards simple, pleasant Julie, who's not really trying to cause any harm and is actively trying to turn down the creepy stalker's advances. I don't mind this chase sequence. Like, yes, it's long, but it's also rather cool to look at i mean like it's dark at first but then all of a sudden you've got these big lightning bolt flashes that illuminate the forest and it looks really dramatic and there's wind i mean it looks like a massive fucking storm they do a really good job creating this uh kind of bleak stormy evening darkness it feels really again authentic um it does go on for a bit but the environment's so enticing to look at that i really didn't find myself bored um, it's just, it doesn't really go anywhere. Like eventually she gets out of the cemetery and she meets up with the others and that's it. I personally, I thought it went on for too long, particularly like with other action going on at the house with them, just finding this bloody woman jumping out of a bathtub or whatever it was. I want to get back in the house and see that action. I don't want to watch Julie run through the woods for five minutes. Uh, and again, you're right. It leads to no, even though, yes, it's shot beautifully. It looks great, but I think it went on way too long. And she's running through this cemetery for even longer until she finally happens to just run into Andy and Arnie who have come back from the general store. And she tells them that Carol locked me in the cemetery and ran away. Back at the house now, Rita wakes up in a frenzy. And, you know, Daniel runs into her room and she's like, he's here. I can smell him. So she run. He runs downstairs and gets his cleaver. His cleaver, I tell you, a cleaver is a popular choice of weapon in this film. Um, he hears some pounding, so he goes and checks the different rooms. And as he goes back to Rita's room, he's like, "I'm going to go down and, and, and double check that the doors are locked. I'm going to lock this door for you." He closes the door, and this is our first reveal, Roger, of the killer. And it is. To be 100% honest, it is fairly effective. Like this guy, he's standing behind the door and as Annie pulls the door closed, he's just standing there staring and he's like this tall giant of a man with like this fucked up, I don't know, his face is all, uh, looks like peeling off. And again, I'm assuming it's supposed to be like, because it was extremely sunburned. I don't know, 
because he doesn't look like that in any of the pictures that we see him in or like when they do flashbacks, his face, he's perfectly fine. So I'm assuming it's like extreme sunburn. I don't know. But I really think this is an effective moment when we first get the shot of the killer. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've been you've been like bunkering down waiting for this. And at this point, like this moment is well deserved if you've made it this far into the film. It definitely comes pretty late into the film, but it is a great first introduction to the look of the killer. He's definitely uh, his most effective when shadowed or when, you know, uh, kind of seen from a distance, like watching from a distance. When you get up close, he does look a a bit hokey. Um, But luckily, this first introduction to the anthropophagus um, is really pretty chilling and he's got this big old fucking cranium i mean he's got this skin problem we keep talking about the big old buggy eyes and and yeah i mean he's really pretty fucking scary when you see him at first as the movie goes on he loses a bit of that um i think one thing that's a bit of a downer here is what this is all building up to this big moment which is technically the first on-camera kill that you are experiencing involving the anthropophagus actually doing what he does which is eating people i guess one big issue i have with this moment is you've been waiting and 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 waiting for this guy to fucking come on to the camera and you know do what he does eat people i i was expecting to see a grand feast i wanted to see him just devour danny uh, but unfortunately like what we get is like the equivalent of like a modern day zombie bite to the throat and we're in and we're out. Danny's dead. He's been bit once and he's dead. And I was like, wow, for as much of a buildup as we're getting here, this lead up where you've got Rita flipping out in the bed, you know, having a panic attack, burying herself into the corner. I was really expecting that we would see something just fucking cuckoo bananas, gnarly, just gross and violent. And it's really pretty much as tame as it can be. Like it is not that big of a moment and it definitely left me feeling like that's it like that's all you're going to give me for this character to meet his demise like i was just really hoping for a lot more what did you think with this moment i mean it happened so quick you're right it's it's you're in and out daniel hears rita th- uh, screaming he runs up immediately is attacked by this anthropophagus who is who's stealthily able to knock the cleaver out of his hand push him to the floor and yeah pull him up and take a bite out of his neck uh, hokey effect and, and yeah daniel's dead and yeah you're right the build-up to this is not satisfying in terms of what the payoff is and it's it's so quick but again the film suffers in its death sequences that's you know even though that's what the film's notorious for i just don't feel like they're executed that that well and you know and then we get conveniently the remaining group come into the room before the anthropophagus can can attack Rita and they find, you know, Daniel's body dead on the floor. And again, their reactions are very like lukewarm. They they leave the house and track through the woods to look for Carol. I'd be like, go fuck yourself, Carol. You just ran out and locked me in a goddamn cemetery. There's no way in hell I'm going out for your big haired ass. Like, go fuck yourself, bitch. They, they, hey, they want to find her and they come upon this villa and Julie mentions that she remembers reading an article about a man named Klaus because I think like Andy's like, whose villa could that be? And she's like, well, I think it could be this guy named Klaus because I remember reading an article about him and him and him and his family were, were shipwrecked. 
And he had a sister who lost her mind due to her brother disappearing because they were so close. And of course, as they approach this villa, the woman we see we saw earlier watching Carol and um, Daniel earlier in the film, she's watching him from the, this window from this villa. So she's just getting around town all over the place. Her presence is something that I enjoy in bringing her back into it. You get a lot of cool little 70s zooms into reflections of her in glass and in windows, peering through windows and so forth. Um, when she comes into play, I do think it adds a nice air of mystery that this film kind of needs. It's ominous. It's ominous. Yeah, it needed a little injection of something like that, but it, I mean, it's short-lived. Oh, it's short-lived. This woman has zero dialogue, let's be clear. thats I mean, she's not a prominent fixture of this film at all. They'd give her not even one word to say. And as she pulls away from the window, she goes and kneels next to Carol, who's asleep on the sofa in this in this beautiful villa. And the woman has a rope and she anxious. She starts to, like, tie the rope. Um, and as the group enters this villa. Beautiful, huge, huge, huge. The woman apparently is tying the rope to the railing. And as they go up the staircase to explore her body immediately comes tumbling down and she hangs herself right in front of them. And this is an effective scene too, because when she hits the end of the rope, like the blood gushes out of her mouth and she is dead. It's a really cool shot when they're coming up the steps and they look up and for a moment you see the body like launch over the edge. It's it's quite well done. The moment with the blood coming out of her mouth, it's a little bit awkward because you can tell that she's like kind of swinging herself into the shot and her body isn't fully like, um, it doesn't look fully like supported as though it was being hung by a noose. It looks very planted, but it's a pretty shot. I love seeing the blood come out of her mouth and it's very, it feels very like of the era, very um, traditional Italian. Very Suspiria-ish. Suspiria-ish. Very Suspiria-ish. Um, and I appreciate the moment. I'm not even saying any of these things are, are necessarily a, a flaw because I think it's quite well done. I think it's a very pretty kill. Um, one of the more exciting kills in the film. But yeah, I mean, as quickly as you're introduced to the idea of this, this the Welkmans, you know, she, I think that her name is, um, oh, they mentioned it once. It's like Ruth or something. I don't know. But their, their last name is Welkman. Um, and so you're introduced to the idea of who she is. They touch on it really briefly. You have a moment of her sitting goddamn with Carol in that chaise long, <laughs> just sitting there. And then she kills herself. Like, I mean, in and out. Like, I mean, you don't even really get an idea why i guess like if i were to reach out there and try to grab an idea she's maybe um so upset with the fact that i'm assuming that's her brother is that her brother that's eating people it's her yes that's her brother and yes. she must be so disgusted with the things that he's done at this point that she has no choice but to kill herself i'm assuming this is what's happening uh, again threadbare storytelling in anthropophagus so i really don't know that's the that's the impression I got that she ki she's killing herself because she doesn't want to see her brother. She doesn't want to see her brother's acts anymore. Like she knows that he is going to kill these people and she just doesn't want to be a part of it anymore. She can't stop him. So her, you know, she's made apparently a, a, a friend with Carol. She doesn't want to see Carol be eaten by her brother. So she's just going to end it. They rush upstairs and they do find Carol and Carol wakes up and hugs, Dan hugs um, Andy. And she's like, Danny's dead, isn't he? And. And he's like, how did you know that? And so he's like, well, she told me where she had anyway. And Annie's like, oh, she killed herself. And she's like, oh, that's all she says. Oh. And then from the window, 
uh, Arnie notices that the boat has drifted back closer to shore. So him and Andy run out to it. It doesn't even that much look that much closer. Like it's like the same distance, but they're determined. They're determined. Uh, we get a nice moment, I guess, from Carol, where she actually does apologize to Julie for being miserable to her. And this is when Julie's like, Julie's like, don't, don't worry about it. Like, look at what we've gone through. I, I'm not blaming you. And then Julie notices the family photo on the shelf. And she's like, oh my God, that's the brother. Or that's the family that was killed in the shipwreck. That must be his sister. Cause she notices there's a picture of the whole family together. And then the sister that just hung herself is in the picture as well. And then there's again, this maybe forced moment where we find a burnt journal that the sister had written and it's basically detailing the murders on the island that have happened. You know, she's like, Oh, people are disappearing and we're finding bodies. Uh, and then it's revealed, Oh, well he's doing it. My brother's doing it. And I have to try to hide all the bodies so that he doesn't get caught. Um, so what I've done is I've hidden all the bodies and all the entrances to his, to his room so that people won't find him and know that he's doing it. And that's that we, so we get, sort of the backstory of what's going on through a burnt journal. Yeah. It's, it's really a, um, a, a plot device that like it's introduced solely to give you exposition. Uh, then that's, that's all you take away from this moment. Like, thank God for that goddamn burnt journal, that dramatic burnt journal being there uh, to give us the audience idea of what the fuck is going on. Uh, we do also get a couple flashbacks coming up here as well that I don't think do much help either. Uh, in fact, it's rather hokey. Um, but he, the story is so far-fetched and the character development is so minimal that they really do have to kind of like grab us by the face and spoon feed us the story to make sure we understand exactly what's going on. Um, again, I'm sure some of that is lost in the translation of the dub as well because none of the delivery of the dialogue sounds effective or good. But yeah, I mean, story is, it's nonsense. It's fucking nonsense. Yeah, and it can be summed up pretty simply and we'll get there as we get the the, the kind of the major flashback of the film. But Arnie uh, has gone out and he's looking and he happens to find Maggie's shoe just while he's exploring. And so he goes out on his own and he finds this like gated entrance and he cautiously goes in it and it reveals that it's a cave. Um, and as he gets inside this cave, he finds like uh, a, a torch or he's able to make a, a finds a branch to make a torch. He has a knife. Um, and as he goes further into this cave, we see that this cave, Roger, is full of skulls and skeletons like they're everywhere. It doesn't phase him one fucking bit like these things are everywhere. I love this location. I, I really love this. Location. Oh, it's amazing. But like I'm talking about from a character perspective. Like, oh, yeah. if I walk into this and I see this, my ass is out of there. Oh, my God. It's it's almost disappointing because this whole, like, reveal of this location, first of all, the exterior is this grand stone castle, and that's rather impressive to look at. And then he walks in through, like, an ent- like a, a bottom entrance, and there is, like you said, there's a tunnel that basically leads to these, like, catacombs. And it's, like, only comparable to, like, kind of what you've seen in, like, uh, like, like as above, so below, you know, that movie where you go into the catacombs um, of, is it, what is it? France? Is that where it is? I believe Paris, Paris, the catacombs of Paris. Yeah. A similar kind of vibe and it's so effective to look at, but the character is, is uh, pretty stone faced the whole time. Like 
this is an example of what you know you if you had the right actor in this environment this could have been just a truly horrifying sequence revealing all these skeletal remains and everything even though some of them are made of goddamn paper mache as we come to see um and it really is just kind of lost and thrown away because it isn't made to feel like that big of a deal like it really doesn't feel like it's all that scary to him. So you're not scared. No, he literally looks like he's walking, just browsing the shelves of the local Walmart. Like he has no concerns. And then when he does, like he he's walking and there's just like these, all these cubby holes with just dead bodies laying there. And he's just casually walking by him until Maggie actually reaches out and grab. Well, someone reaches out and grabs him and it's revealed to be Maggie who has been placed in one of these like cubby hole things. I can't believe this bitch is still alive. Like, I really thought she was dead. He's saving. He's not hungry yet, Roger. I mean, there's a feast for two in there. I do like this whole sequence of him walking through these catacombs. You have these occasional moments cutting to, like, meaty remains where there's, like, rats, like, gnawing on them. And when you, like, when you see the rats, their eyes are, like, bright red, uh, which I think is really uh, uncomfortable to look at. That's really gross. Um, again, the corpses look pretty fucking cheap i'm gonna be real on that like the the body reveals whenever you see some of these corpses they just look so shockingly fake uh but i'll roll with it but overall it's still visually it's a really striking sequence the score here i do feel is actually rather standout this is a moment that i thought the score was just really intense it did help to build some of that suspense but again, the acting just doesn't get it there. It doesn't hit as hard as it should. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to be in the moment with the character when the character, like I said, is acting so casually about the whole thing. Back at the house, Julie is on her own exploring and is startled by a mirror. Like, I didn't get this moment. But she turns around, she gets startled by a mirror. So her response is to throw a candlestick through it. <laughs> and But it does reveal that there is a door behind this mirror. So she pushes like the dresser that the mirror was attached to out of the way and she opens this door and it's a room full of like furniture, beds, chairs covered with these white sheets. It's a very striking actually image when we see it, this dark room with all these white sheets that look like people. And it is revealed then as she kind of casually goes over to one and pulls the sheet off of it, that it is fucking people. It's the, all, all of these like chairs and couches are full of like dead people. And as she's pulling the, white sheets off of them. We're seeing their decayed faces with like maggots crawling all over them and stuff. And again, Roger, the main fucking problem, she acts like it's not a big deal. Like she pulls a, she pulls a a sheet off, sees this decayed dead body full of Megan. She's like, Oh, and then just turns around and pulls the other one. Oh, I mean, there's not a scream there. I mean, it's. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I can't take away from this movie. The fact that every single location is, constantly impressive like locations alone 10 out of 10 again this room really dramatic to look at the silhouettes of all the the figures covered in the sheets like you said very very dramatic um but yeah we we really um are not treated to what i would say to be the most um impactful reaction from julie um i would think in a moment like this you'd really want something that would get the audience riled up Uh, you know, provoke fear in people, but it is a rather lackluster reaction. Uh, It just doesn't do the overall environment justice because, God, the set design here is so awesome. The set design is is crazy good, even even for the lackluster 
bodies, the cheap looking bodies. I can forgive that because everything else is so meticulously done, but it's just, like I said, it's the performances that really knock you out of the moment. Uh, and then we get perhaps the most infamous scene in the movie where we cut back to Arnie and Maggie trying to escape this cave when this killer starts to slowly come into the cave and approach them. And this dude could not be walking any more slow than, I mean, Maggie, he could have easily pulled Maggie past him and they could have, this guy is like walking super slow. And instead Arnie's like, no, go away. Leave us alone. Can't you see she's pregnant? Just leave us alone. The reaction to this horrifying cannibalistic figure approaching them is honestly one of the lamest parts of the movie. And there's a lot of lame parts in this movie, but this guy's fucking reaction because he's like, go away. Leave us alone. She's pregnant. Can't you see? Like, there's not even like enthusiasm to the voice. It is void of panic. Or any form of just general distress. Um, and it, God, it just kills the scene. Again, I, I need to see this with the original um, original audio because I just, I would hope that it does the moment a little bit more justice hearing the genuine panic in their voices. One huge issue that kills this movie for me, I mean, the audio dubbing is one thing, but they do this thing whenever the women are, are panicking or worked up where they're like, oh, oh. Oh, 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 they're never like blood curdling screams. They're never like consistent, natural, like <sighs> breaths. It's always like, oh, 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 oh. And it sounds like uh, almost like you're watching like an, like an animated film. Like the dubbing is so exaggerated and God, it kills some of these really tense moments. Like coming up here, this moment with Maggie her audio or the reaction that you get just does not live up to what's about to happen to this fucking woman. Well, as he's approaching, we cut to this random flashback of him on the life raft with his wife and kid, the ugly kid. Good Lord. Why are kids in Italian horror films? So fucking ugly, Roger. I don't know. I mean, this kid, apparently it's dead because he goes to like, he takes out his knife and he's going to like cut the kid up for meat because he's like, the wife is screaming. no, you can't do that. And he's like, he's dead. He's nothing but meat now. And he goes to like kill it, carve his kid. And the wife like jumps in the way and he stabs her in the stomach. And then there's this like awkward moment where he like lets out this, Ooh, this howl. It's horribly how this horrible howl, horrible, not in a good way, horrible in a very bad acting way. Oh, it's so over the top. And I think this is also a really like awkward placement for this moment of like this realization this flashback for you as a viewer uh because it's like kind of intercut with this whole situation of, of what's about to happen involving arnie getting stabbed into the shoulder and then obviously maggie being uh robbed of her fetus and eventually having that fetus consumed uh it's so weird that they place the scene here um to kind of break up this building kind of like tension and just overall again dread uh that anything that could be developed here is kind of thrown to the wind when you cut to this really over the top like lifeboat sequence it really is um rather hokey and so it kind of just deflates the balloon for me so when you do come up on the actual kill the murder of, of what is arnie and then maggie um it, it feels like it's already lost some steam because of that flashback you know yeah, and again, 
in the, during the flashback, we see that they're both, both him and his wife and the child's faces have that like peely look to them. So again, this is where I, I gather that I'm assuming he was like extremely sunburned from being out on the ocean under the beating sun for so long. And that's why his face looks the way it is. Otherwise I have no explanation, but yeah, so he kills his wife and apparently that causes and his child dies. So that causes him to go nuts and decide he's going to eat the entire village. But yeah, he, yeah, he basically stabs Arnie in the, chest with this butcher knife and then goes over to Maggie and strangles her to death as already is not dead yet. He's still like conscious. Klaus is his name. The anthropophagus said we find out his name is Klaus literally reaches his hand up Maggie's vagina and pulls her baby out. He pulls out the whole like everything like sack. Yeah. Like, like the baby, it's not just like a fetus. Like he manages to pull out like the sack in which the baby is developing. Um, it is, rather hard to tell what you're looking at like let's be clear this reveal it's it's i know it's supposed to be shocking but like it's not because yeah you can barely tell what you're seeing like it doesn't look like a baby so that right there it just lessens the impact doesn't look like a baby at all it looks like he's biting into a ham it's sort of like like i I want to bring it back to the serbian film that the infamous scene in the serbian film that everyone throws a fit about to me when i saw it i'm like okay it looks like a doll like that literally you can tell is a doll like why are people getting worked up about it. It's the same thing here. You can't even tell what this is. The implication, yes, is terrifying, but the execution, again, doesn't lend itself to the reaction that the film received. It just doesn't because it looks so phony. I know we've talked about the idea of, you know, remakes and how we feel about them and when they're warranted. And I will say, like, there is a story here, aside from a man who only really needs a good aloe face mask and all of his problems could be addressed at least his physical deformities the whole thing with his wife and child dying that's a whole other story but his skin at least that could be easily taken care of but the whole story here the uh, lean into the whole cannibalistic tendencies and so forth um is still intriguing you don't have a ton of slasher-esque killers who are going the full-on cannibal route it's rare that you get that as a bonus. So yeah, you got high expectations when you come into it. I feel this film, in some form, could maybe benefit from a remake. I, I almost feel like if you brought in somebody like, I don't know, like a, like a, a Javier Botet, you know, who was in Mama, he played Mama. He was in the It movies as like all the different like side characters that you got with the really deformed physiques. He has that really like lanky body type. He actually has a, a disease. I can't remember the name of it, but it makes for him to be very like long limbed and lanky. And I feel like the, the areas where this specific interpretation of this killer lacks, like I'd love to see them kind of exaggerated a bit because like the guy's tall, he's got a big cranium, but overall, aside from his like skin problem, and his big buggy eyes. Like there's not really a lot to be scared of with this guy. Certain moments he is effective, but when you really get him like properly lit, no shadow play, um, really not that impactful. So this whole moment, like, I don't know, I guess with this whole moment of him eating this fucking baby, um, I, I went in knowing the scene happened and I didn't find him really that scary in this sequence. Like once he got past the shot of him breathing the smoke out of his mouth and everything, and he steps into the light, it just kind of lost some oomph for me. And then this whole effect here where it really is hard to tell exactly what the fuck he's eating. 
um, which I'm sure they did that on purpose because for the times they probably couldn't push the envelope a whole lot more. Uh, like you see the umbilical cord and everything, but God, like it really, like you're right. It looks like he's biting into a, like a, a sack of meat and it's brief. Like he chomps into it and it's cutting away. Uh, I don't know. It just didn't impress me as much as I really wanted it to. Well, yeah, I, I would agree with you. It, it really looking back, look, watching it now, obviously we're like, why the fuck was this even a big deal? Back in the day, maybe, you know, things like this didn't happen in a film. You weren't seeing people rip fetuses out. But by today's standards, this should not have. I've seen far, far worse in films. And yeah, you're right. The the the, the villain suffers from just not being very intimidating after his sh- initial shtick is, is over. He just lumbers about. Um, so, yeah, that's the end of Artie. That's the end of Arnie, Maggie, and her unborn baby. Back at the house, Carol's looking for Julie. She goes downstairs and finds her. Julie's like, I'm, I'm right here. And she's been reading the diary and tells Carol that this guy from this diary, this man, this Klaus guy is a fucking raving maniac. And all of a sudden, again, talk about awkward death scenes. Carol just like steps out of the darkness in this room where she was just talking with Julie. And all of a sudden her throat is slit. Here's my big issue with Carol is you have all this buildup of Carol being like reading tarot cards, being some kind of psychic, having out of body experiences, you know, being taken over by other people's personalities or whatever the fuck just happened a moment ago. Um, And it all builds up and it builds up and builds up. And I really expected her to have some kind of like grand reveal for herself as to why she played a major factor in the storyline or why they chose to go kind of like, supernatural with her and her abilities and all of a sudden she's just like killed and she's killed very like unceremoniously like her throat is cut you realize it when she walks out of the shadows and she drops and the anthropophagus is there in the room bam and like it was yeah it was it was a letdown both because it was kind of a lame kill but also like i just expected more from this character for her to have been such a bitch for so much of the movie and now she's finally like snapping out of it and starting to act like a normal human being with human feelings for her to just be like, kind of like killed off and tossed aside without any rhyme or reason. I was disappointed. I was really expecting that her character would play a bigger factor in how the story concluded. I, yeah, I was too. And I I was so like pissed off that that's how they decide. We don't even see it. She literally just steps out of the darkness and all of a sudden her throat's cut, but it does lead to, Klaus busting through the, you know, busting into the room and and going after Julie, causing her to have to run upstairs where she gets Rita. And there is a kind of effective little chasing through this house. Klaus, I would say, okay, I don't want to say effective because this Klaus character just literally just walks at a snail's pace. And it's supposed to be intimidating. I get it. But like, while you have these two girls frantically running for their lives and he's just kind of casually, oh, here I am. It just doesn't work. But they do get to the attic and they lock themselves in the attic. And while they're up there, he's trying to get in, you know, pushing the attic door, but they have it locked. So he doesn't, he isn't able to get in. So he leaves and poor, uh, blind Rita is just sitting there hyperventilating and, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out if he's still around, what's going on. And there's this like moment of quiet. Long extended moment of quiet where the camera just looking, focusing on these two characters when all of a sudden Klaus's hand busts through the roof. And this got me too. This is a nice Starl scare. Grabs Rita by the hair and starts pulling her up 
out of this hole through the roof. And we see that his hand is like ripping her scalp and her skin off her face. And she's just screaming bloody murder. And as he pulls her through this hole, he goes down and does the same thing he did to Daniel. He takes a big old fucking bite out of her neck. Oh, I was so bummed to see her go. This poor thing. This poor blind girl. Like, how are you going to do this blind girl like that? So you're going to give the blind girl, this poor blind girl, you're going to give her this horrific death scene and this huge moment, but you're only going to let us see Carol walk out of the darkness with a slit throat? Yeah, I I felt kind of bad. I thought this character... Kind of mean-spirited. Yeah, like, I I feel like her whole purpose of of bringing her into the storyline, I was really hoping to see her at least maybe make it just because like god damn like when they first find her she's covered in fucking blood hiding in a basement trying to defend herself um wildly without knowing what the fuck is going on like i feel like she earned her survival um and yeah the kill here very mean-spirited she feels like a toss-away character at that point um and i do feel like even though she's not in the majority of the film she's one of the more developed elements of the film her purpose for being there, her moments. She has some really good dramatic moments, but God, the dubbing here, Troy, that this, like that's how they wheeze and pant. And it feels again, so um, unnatural and, and clearly dubbed. And it just, Oh my God, it takes me out of the moment so much, but it is a really great, beat that they hit there when they're kind of looking around the room waiting for him to hit and even the moment of them running up that massive fucking staircase that like winding staircase where you get the nice shot coming down from multiple levels above um because you know poor rita being blind having to run up these steps and you got julie basically carrying her the whole fucking way and this guy's just stalking after him taking his time i guess because he knows that they've got nowhere to go uh so it does it does build up to this moment uh, where Rita does meet her demise. I will say, like, in the sense of, like, a finale, it does hit a stride for a second. Like, I like the suspense. I like all of this as it's building and growing. And and he does seem so much more menacing when you realize he can punch through a goddamn ceiling. Uh, but it's brief. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously a very, you know, capable villain in terms of he's smart enough to know he should to climb back out onto the roof of this house to get this girl. But yeah, his pursuing is very like, it's like being chased by a, literally a snail. He's so slow. Julie's able to find like this random pickaxe that's just sitting in the attic and she hits through the roof and hits him in the leg. So he rolls off the roof onto the ground. And I do like that at this moment, Julie's like, fuck this. She takes that pickaxe and she goes back downstairs and she actually goes outside. Like she's looking for this fucker. Uh, she's walking around the yard looking for him, welding this pickaxe. She gets to this well that's on the property. And when she peers over the side, he immediately jumps from this well and grabs her and pulls her into it. I'm like wondering how, because we see how deep this fucking well is. But along the way, she grabs this rope and she like, it, there's this moment where like this rope that's was attached to the bucket gets wrapped around her wrist. So she's literally dangling in this well by this wrist. When we see him below her start crawling out of the water and she starts swinging herself to get to the ladder. And there's a pursuit where he's climbing the ladder slowly. She's trying to get, you know, up out of the well because this rope is wrapped around her wrist. She's able to get out of this well. And as she gets out of the well, he climbs out too. And he grabs the rope because it's still around her hand and starts to pull her towards him. (laughs) 
I I liked everything until the well. Like I liked everything from the well. Like her hanging from her wrist looked painful yeah. as fuck. Him oh, coming yeah. out of the water. But then this moment where she he's pulling her toward her and she's like, oh, oh. Oh my god, it's so fucking lame. It's so lame. Everything building up to this point, though, you're right. Like it is it's actually some high stakes drama for a second. Like I'm like, oh my god, like shit's getting really intense. Like I'm actually starting to buy into it. Like it's getting scary for a moment. Like you're right, like there's blood running down her wrist because the rope's like digging into it. It looks really fucking painful. The moment of him coming out of the water is probably one of his scariest moments as you start to see him lift himself onto the ladder like that's really effective but the moment that you get to him just like slowly like pulling her into him by via the rope i was like are you kidding me like you can't like just like jump on top of her and start mauling her like he's gonna give us this lame like slow pursuit i don't know it feels so uh anticlimactic after that big pursuit yeah, well, then what bothers me, too, is Julie is our focal character throughout the whole film, right? And whether you want to think she's likable or whatever, that's a whole different story. Uh, she's kind of honestly just a very bland character. And again, it could be the dubbing. I mean, it's it's who knows. But like she is the focal character. We have followed her. She's the reason why these people are on the island. So I guess you could look at it. And it's her fault that they're even in, that everyone was even killed because she insisted that they bring her to this island. But my point is, like, it's not even her then that ultimately kills this dude all of a sudden and i totally forgot he was even still around all of a sudden andy just as the just as klaus is pulling getting uh julie to him andy comes out of nowhere and fucking hits the guy in the stomach with the fucking pickaxe and i'm like okay where the fucking andy come from i forgot about him but it just bothered me that julie has to be saved by a man. Oh my God. And in like a, a man who literally disappeared for about 20 minutes of the film, like he's not been involved at all. He ran off. It's all been on her shoulders from that point moving forward. And then all of a sudden he just shows up for the big climactic finale moment. Um, it not deserved. I wouldn't mind him coming back and helping her, but the fact that he got like the hero stance moment and got to kill what we what we see is to you know be the fate the demise of of the anthropophagus um that should have been julie's moment like she just went through quite a lot of shit these last couple minutes here i mean she went into survival mode and i definitely feel that she earned that uh pickaxe to the stomach that's about to be delivered because yeah i, I do not think it is warranted or deserved uh for him to have the final the final showdown Amen. Amen. But he does get it. And yeah, he hits, he hits the anthropophagus in the stomach with this pickaxe. And then we get the scene that is uh, probably the second most infamous scene from the film, which is on the cover, a lot of the cover art. Klaus falls to the ground. His guts start to spill out of the wound from the pickaxe. So he immediately starts to pull his guts out. And what does he do? He starts fucking eating them. Takes a big old fucking bite of, uh, yeah, he takes a big old bite of them. Just starts eating his fucking guts before dropping over dead. That fucker. Oh my yeah. god. Oh my god. I I what what is this nonsense? But to make it worse, that's the end of the movie. Like the credits, it goes black. It just says the end as they stand there looking at him dead after he started to eat his guts. That's the yeah. end of it. I mean, like for this to be the final note, and I had no idea that it was him eating his own guts, but like. I don't even know what his motivation is for eating people to begin with. He survived that fucking 
shipwreck. I mean, maybe he ended up eating his wife or something. I mean, it's, I, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, is that what we're supposed to assume he was, he survived. He ultimately made it back to this, his, to his home, but are we to then believe that he ate his wife and child? So now he has like this hunger for human flesh on top of the fact that having killed his wife and seeing his son die caused him to go insane. So you combine the two together and you have now this insane cannibal, but like this dude acts 90% of the movie. He lumbers around like he's a zombie, like he's not even human. But he still is a fucking human, right? With a really bad sunburned face. But yeah, there's just a like a whole weird vibe about what this killer is supposed to be. Yeah, it really is like it's a cool effect to see his guts coming out. I, I like that. Um, but to end it on such like an exaggerated moment that really just doesn't feel in line with anything I've taken away from the film. Like even if he's a cannibal, I mean. Why, why, why the fuck is he eating his own guts? Like, what what purpose is that serving? Is it just is he just wanting to leave them with such a horrific image to be like singed into their minds for the rest of their lives? Like, you may you may have killed me, but just look at this, and then he's like eating his guts, and they're like, oh my god, that's so that's so grotesque. Like, I I don't understand. Like, he's is he is he that hungry? <laughs> that is, well, he just ate a baby. He, he just, just ate, ate a baby. baby. He ate he a baby. I, mean, I don't know, on. but I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, again, I, I'm going to go back to what I said at the f- beginning of this episode and just leave it at that because I really can't say much more about it. I, I've okay. I it's a movie. I watched it. I, I kind of don't feel anything about it. Like, like I said, I, it's not memorable. I'm not like, it's not on my list of like, Oh, I have to watch anthropo. I, w- I just, it's a movie. I watched it. Okay. I, I don't really feel anything for it. And I feel like the, a, a huge part of the emotional disconnect, and I really hate to keep harping on this has to do with the characters and the dubbing, because I just don't give a shit. And none of the characters, uh, reactions, dialogue, anything matches what is happening in the film. So if they don't care what's happening to them, why the fuck should I? And that's, that's the end. I mean, I just don't know what more to say about it. Some great visuals. Yes. Some great atmosphere is built, but it's really not enough for me to be like, Oh, this is a good movie that I have to revisit or I have to show other horror fans because there's 50 other films that build atmosphere just as well, if not better than this film that came out during the same time period. Yeah. Visually, there's some great things to say about the movie and it's main, it's mainly about the, the location, the setting, and, and for that, like, yeah, absolutely. Kudos to this film for having such an amazing just setting over the entire course of the film. I mean, every location that they're in is is rather striking, and there's always something cool to look at. The actual story, as it unfolds, is, is nonsense. It really is. I, I really don't understand the motivations behind a lot of the choices, be it the killers or be it the uh, individuals involved in this situation. Um, I guess, like, again, loosely, if we're going to tie the story together, this man is addicted to eating flesh after having to eat his wife and child after surviving a shipwreck, and he is unable to stop eating human flesh, and it drives his sister so crazy that she kills herself. Like, I okay, I guess that's the story, but I don't know for sure. Maybe something got lost in translation. I don't know. Still. I've been using the term threadbare for this one a lot, and it really is. The story is just threadbare. There's uh, overall very little to take away from this film that feels impactful. Um, There's no great, like, revelations or moments of shock or surprise. 
everything is really just kind of simplistic and like color by numbers. It just happens to be a cannibal this time. Um, yeah, I really don't have a ton to praise about this movie. The promotional material was rather strong, so good on them for that. Um, but other than the beautiful scenery, yeah, it really is a rather forgettable film. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> sorry. I mean, sorry anybody who who likes the film, but I, I just, I had, like I said, I just had a, a disconnect with it. And, you know, maybe, like you said, maybe watching it in its, in its original language with subtitles would, would help. Maybe that would. Maybe I will try to seek that out and do that at some point. But again, it's just not a film I want to revisit. Um, but guys, if you're a fan of Anthropopagus, let us know what we might be missing or, you know, just let us know your overall thoughts on the film as a whole. You know, again, it's one of the notorious video nasties. Do you think it deserves its reputation? You know, I mean, a few, a few shocking scenes that were shocking for the time period for sure, but I think they definitely did not age well and watching it now really makes me raise my eyebrow about why it caused such a stir. But again, I get what was implied. But at the end of the day, just doesn't just didn't jive with me. And that's OK, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like, hey, Jason, I know you've been wanting us to cover this one for a while. And I'm sorry that we didn't love it as much as you probably wanted us to. But um, I, you know, I, I appreciate the um, the approach to the killer, at least in the sense of they tried to do something I think that's a little bit different um, with his overall visual aesthetic. And there are certain moments that I do appreciate. Um, in the sense of some of the scares, some of the more suspenseful moments, it does have glimmers of, of rather effective sequences. So I will say, like, I, I can see it. I can see the appeal and where certain people might really favor this film. It just didn't win me over. But, you know, to each his own. Absolutely. And guys, if you have a film that you want to suggest us cover, again, you got to reach us, reach out and let us know. Post it in the Facebook group. Search for a Facebook group, Dark Night of the Podcast facebook group um let us know on social media and uh, i guess quickly i will let you know what we're covering next week it's a little bit more of a light-hearted slasher film we're going from italian gore to 80s slasher cheeserama starring paulie shore uh so if you have not seen this film for quite some time it just recently got added to shutter it got a really cool blu-ray release so yeah, for, for our 98th episode, we're, we're ever so inching closely to 100, we are covering the 1986, like I said, Polly Shore, M Morgan Fairchild makes an appearance, Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. Yeah, I am excited to watch this one with you. It's on Shutter, guys, so if you haven't checked it out, watch it before we cover it next week, because if I remember correctly, it's quite a hoot. You got to suspend a lot of belief, <laughs> which we shall see how that turns out. But guys, again, thank you. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast. Give us a rating on Apple podcasts and let us know your thoughts on Anthropophagus. And thank you, Jason, our devoted fan. We may not have loved Anthropophagus, but we sure as hell love you. And thank you for your support. And Hey, you know what? Next time you pick one, it just may be the glass slipper fit for me. <laughs> so, so you got another one, then, you, Jason. I know you do. He, oh, he does. He does. We know he does. All right, guys. With that, until Phantom of the Mall, we will talk to you later. Good night. Good night. Now go eat some fetuses. Oh, delicious. <laughs> <laughs>